Uh, this morning, we're finishing a series called Healthy Church, Healthy Community, uh, which Matt talked about last weekend. And what Matt talked about, he started with the idea that they're connected, that healthy church and healthy community are connected, that a healthy church will yield healthy community, and, if a, and a healthy community will yield a healthy church. That's why we're giving so much time and attention to this idea of intentional community, uh, this idea of what if we had a healthy community? How do we build healthy community? Because we really do believe that if we do a good job and take the time to, to build a healthy community journey, it's going to help build a healthy church. Nod your heads if you're with me. Okay, cool. Um, he also talked about intentional community versus casual community. Casual community is that kind of community where you go to a football game or you go to a, uh, uh, one of your kids' things or, you know, whatever it might be, where you're around people where you have a common reason to be there. And it's kind of surface level. You might have five some people, get to know some people on a basic level, but it's very shallow. You know what I mean? It's very, uh, it's very casual, right? And the difference between that and intentional community is that intentional community is done on purpose, right? There's an intention behind it. The goal is to grow more to be like Jesus. The goal is to grow in our own personal walks, to become better versions of ourselves, to become more like Jesus, right? So there's a difference between intentional community and casual community. And intentional community is where growth and change and transformation actually happens. Um, he also talked about reasons people don't engage in intentional community. He talked about tension factors, and he talked about resistance factors, where tension factors are those things that make sense, like it's kind of reasonable, like I don't really like being around new people. Okay, cool. I don't like being in large groups. Okay, cool. I get that. I get that. That's a tension. But there, uh, Andy Stanley talks about there's problems to be solved and tensions to be managed. Like, I got to fix this thing, but I got to manage this tension. So maybe you don't like being around new people, but for you to engage in intentional community, you might have to manage that tension. See that? Uh, instead, there's also these resistance factors. Okay? Resistance factors are I don't like groups, I had a bad experience. I think this is dumb. I think whatever. You have some resistance to it. You see that resistance? And the, the piece with the resistance is you're not managing attention. You're addressing your resistance. Why do you think that way? Why do you believe that way? You have to do something. In order to engage in intentional community, you've got to address that resistance. So that's kind of where we left last week. And I thought it'd be important to start this week by talking about why this matters to me. This is an area that's, that's only been under my leadership here during the last couple of months. And if you know me at all, you might think, well, Chris is a people person, so it kind of makes sense. He likes, you know, being with people and running around, so that kind of makes sense. And that's, I mean, I guess that's part of it, but I'm what you'd call an introverted extrovert um, to where, like, I like being around people and hanging out and being at parties and doing, you know, being around people, but I also like being at the back of the room and seeing things happen. You know what I mean? Anybody with me on the intentional? Yeah, okay, good. Those are my people. Um, so there's a little bit of that, but really the reason why I believe so much in this, why I put so much time, effort, and energy, and I, I, I believe in this so much, is because intentional community can transform people. Intentional community can transform people. When I say transform, I don't just mean, oh, I have friends now, or oh, I have something to do on Wednesday nights. I mean an actual physical transformation in people. Let me tell you a story. So growing up, uh, my family helped plan a church uh, when we were growing up, when I was in middle school, and it was really cool to see God move in that way. So we were really involved in the church all the time. So I, I, I knew the youth pastor, and we kind of you know, were involved in stuff. And at youth group, there were these the youth pastor saw these three guys, okay, and he wanted to get them into a group together, right, to meet regularly. Now, let me show you about these guys. The first guy was super outgoing. Everybody liked him, good-looking kid, played basketball. So there's that kid, right? And then there's the second guy who's the homeschool kid. He kind of keeps to himself. There's a couple of people who laughed at homeschool, and you're evil. That's your fault. So there's, homes, there's a couple of homeschool. You get that picture. There's a homeschool kid. He's a little introverted, uh, keeps himself, brilliant dude. 
really nice, but just kind of stays inside his shell. You know what I mean? And there's a third guy who's kind of insecure, but he deals with it by being the center of attention, like to you know, make people happy and joke around, do that kind of thing. So three very different people, okay? Like you would never put, see those three and be like, hey, let's put them together in a group, right? It works really well. But the youth pastor basically asked them, hey, why don't we start meeting? Let's meet before youth group every week and just see what happens. Basically, he asked them to engage, okay? He asked them to engage, and so they did. So they met most weeks before youth group and kind of hung out and spent time together for, you know, however long. And what happened was it changed their personal walks with God. They all grew closer to God. They all changed as people, like it helped them mature and grow and be held accountable and, and take steps in different areas of their life. But it also changed those around them. It changed their youth group. It changed their high school experience. It changed how they were able to lead and be with other people around them. Essentially, it transformed them as people. And isn't that what we want as a church? I mean, our vision as a journey is to be transformed people who are changing our friends' lives by absolute hope. That's what we want to do. We want to be transformed people who are changing our friends' lives by absolute hope. But that first piece is the transformed piece. You see that? The transformed piece happens in intentional community. And creating intentional matters to me because it will transform people. So if we want to change our friends' lives by absolute hope, we first have to be transformed. You see how that works? So that's why I'm so passionate about intentional community. Today, I hope to show you how this all fits together, okay? So let me start by showing you where we're going to go. I'll start by giving you the end away. I'll Tarantino this or something. Here we go. So the end is that your engagement determines your experience, your engagement determines your experience. We're going to build to that statement. That's where we're getting to. But let's start by talking about our priorities and our values. So priorities are the things that are important to us, right? Those are the things that come before other things. I hold this in higher priority than this. Nod your heads if you're with me, right? Uh, values are the principles or judgment of what's important in life. I think this is important. I think family's important. I think my health is important, right? Values. So we got priorities and values. And they can be anything. It could be your family. It could be your job. It could be your friends. It could be the impact I want to make in my life. It could be a priority or a value. Um, your, your hobbies, the Panthers. Can I get an amen? Uh, your health. I mean, anything could be a value or a priority. And as I'm talking, over the next couple of minutes, I want you to take a minute. And if you take your phones out and want to write this down, feel free. You're not going to make me mad. Um, but take, literally note, what do you think are the two or three priorities or two or three values in your life? And I don't mean like what you wish they were, like really be honest for a second. Don't sugarcoat it. What are the things that you value and prioritize in your life? So keep those in mind. Be thinking about that. So why does understanding our priorities and our values matter? Why does that even matter to start here? Well, it's because our priorities and our values determine our engagement, okay? Our priorities and values determine our engagement. That's because our priorities and values are connected, Okay, so our values will dictate our priorities. They dictate what our priorities are. And if you look at your priorities, like your calendar, they will reveal your values. So your values are kind of how you think, and your priorities are what you do, like your, what things you put in order of, uh, on like your calendar, basically. Like, calendar's a great place to see your priorities. So it works like this. Like, let's say a value of yours is your health. Make sense? That's something a lot of people do, is I value my health, right? So that value will dictate what? that you get up early, that you spend time working on your health, that you make healthy eating choices, that you spend time around healthy people. Does that make sense? You see how that, that works out? So that priority, seeing those things on your calendar, going to the gym, eating healthy, doing those whatever, will reveal that you care about your health. See how those two work together? 
Um, same thing with like work. If you value your work and doing a great job at your jo- or being good at your job, you're going to get there early. You're going to stay late. You're going to go above and beyond. If you see someone doing those things, it will show you, reveal that they value work. See, they kind of go hand in hand. So again, you have to answer the question for yourself. What are your priorities and what are your values? Now again, your priorities and values determine your engagement. Now when I say engagement this morning, I want you to think what you do. What you do. So your priorities and values determine what you do, what you physically do. And knowing your priorities and values will help you understand why you do what you do. So if you understand your priorities, you understand your values, then it's going to help you understand why you do what you do. Your engagement. Okay, see how this is working together? And so as followers of Jesus, it might be helpful to take a moment to look at what Jesus valued and what he prioritized. So before I continue, I want to say this. This is not an exhaustive list of what he valued and prioritized. His first and foremost value and priority was God and his glory. That's what Jesus' main priority was. So these are a couple things uh, that we see Jesus valuing in the scriptures. Let's start with this. Jesus values intentional community. You knew that was coming. I mean, come on. You knew that was coming. So Jesus values intentional community. Uh, so we see this in Mark 4, uh, where uh, this is where uh, we're seeing here that Jesus built relationships with his disciples, right? Pretty simple idea. But we see it time and time again all through the Gospels. If you spend any time reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see Jesus spending intentional time with his disciples. And in this instance in Mark 4, we see that uh, there's a, uh, a very well-known parable, which is kind of like a story or an illustration that Jesus would use a metaphor. Um, to help illustrate a point, right? And this is the parable of the sower, which is essentially telling the story of a person who's walking with seed, like a seed bag, and they're throwing seed out, and it kind of connects to how we spread the word, spread the gospel, that sort of thing. It lands on good soil, lands on bad soil, blah, blah, blah. So it's all this good stuff. Um, but the point is, he, he says this, and when he speaks publicly, that's kind of how Jesus spoke. He spoke in parables. But what we see in verse 10 and 11, and even further in that, in that uh, passage, we see that Jesus gets alone with his disciples, and he tells them, look, I'm going to break everything down to you. I'm going to spend the time to make sure that you understand exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to give you something more than I give everybody else. Because he's building these relationships with these men. He's spending time. It's intentional. He's spending the time so that they understand exactly what he's trying to teach. Now, why is he doing this? The reason he's doing this is to build relationships with them. He's taking the time to build the trust so that he can then uh, explain the truth to them. You see how that works? It's the same thing for us with, a, with any relationship you've got. Uh, as a believer, you want to spend time with people so you can build trust, so you can ultimately share truth with them, whether that truth is the gospel or that's truth that's helping them see things about themselves so they can become more and more like Jesus. Nod your heads if you're with me. Yeah? Okay. Um, so Jesus values intentional community. Number two, we see in uh, Matthew 17 that Jesus gave some intentional preference or attention. Like he gave them special time. Okay, so let's, let's take a look at the scripture to see how this works out and how it plays out. This is Matthew 17, if you want to check this out and follow along. So it says here that six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. So let's stop here for a minute. So Peter, James, and John were this kind of smaller group out of the 12 disciples. There's a smaller group of three that he continued to kind of go back to and pour into as a very small, intentional group of men. Now his reason here wasn't to like lift them up or put them above anybody or say whatever, that's, that's very against how Jesus treats people. But what he did here is he wanted to give them an experience that would transform them. He wanted to use them as the core of something he was going to do. Okay, so let's see what plays out here. Let's see what happens. So in verse two, 
As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Let's pause here for a second. So Moses and Elijah are two figures, two men from the Old Testament. Okay, the Old Testament is the, uh, the Hebrew Bible, and James, Peter, and John would, are Hebrew men. So they study these books, right? They know who Moses and who Elijah are. These are big deals to them. It would be like if you're you know, hanging out in these, and very, very well-known people pop up in front of you. These, so they're already starting to freak out a little bit. Like, this is a big deal. Not only do they appear out of nowhere, which is kind of incredible, um, but these are super well-known people to them. These are men they grew up reading about and hearing stories about. So Moses and Elijah were very big deals to them. Uh, so Peter then exclaimed, which kind of makes sense. He says, Lord, it's wonderful, wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's just stay here. This is awesome. Let's just do this, right? So Peter's really amped up about this. Let's go on, verse 5. But even as he spoke, a bright light, uh, or excuse me, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Can you imagine being in this moment as he's, because these are real people experiencing a real thing to where not only have these big like monoliths of their faith appeared out of nowhere, the very voice of God, God himself is speaking to them. Have you ever been in a moment where you've seen God move in a way, it might've been a physical thing like someone being healed or someone having a, a, an encounter with God, or maybe just seeing a prayer answered or seeing God move in the details and you're just like, wow, like you have that experience, it, it, multiply that by 10, and this is close to what these guys are experiencing. Okay, so they're having this real incredible scene. So let's see what happens in verse 6. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. That's a very appropriate response. But I love this. Then Jesus came over and touched them, just like a good friend would, right? Someone that you know, someone who cares about you. He came over and said, get up, he said, don't be afraid. Continue to verse 8. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. Now, Jesus gave these three men an incredible experience. Why? Because when you experience God in such a real way, in such a tangible way, you cannot help but be transformed. If you've had a moment where you've seen God move or, or do something, it's hard to believe the same way. It's hard to be the same way after that. You feel like a change has occurred. So Jesus wanted to give these men an experience to help further the relationships of the three, or excuse me, the four of them. But he also wanted them to be challenged to grow in their faith because he knew what was coming down the road. He wanted them and needed them to be transformed. So Jesus gave special attention to some of them. Now, the last piece with, with his value of intentional community, we see this because Jesus cultivated accountability and vulnerability with his disciples, okay? And this is, we see this further into that passage still in Matthew 17, where he kind of takes it to the next level. But accountability and vulnerability are two attributes that are inseparable from intentional community. If you want to have true an intentional community where people can be transformed and changed, you have to create a space for people to be vulnerable and safe, but also held accountable. When I say accountability, I don't mean you're not being a good Christian. That's not what accountability is. Accountability is I want to be this, and people say, okay, we'll help you be that. You see that? You see the difference between you're not being this, and we're going to help you be this. You see that difference? There's a big difference there. And so what Jesus is going to do in this story, we're going to see him hold his disciples accountable while they're able to be vulnerable. 
Okay, so let's look in chapter 17. This is further into that story after this just happened. So they came down from the mountain, and at the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. Goes on and says this. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into fires in the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Okay, so let me get some background. So Jesus sent his disciples out to do this very thing, to cast out demons, to heal people, to do these incredible things in his name. Okay, that's what Jesus told them to do. Have you ever been with your boss or around like a supervisor when a client or someone is complaining about something they told you to do but you didn't do and you're like, uh, okay, and the, you're sitting right next to your boss. This is exactly what's happening here. The guy is complaining about the disciples not doing what he said to do and Jesus is about to respond. So Jesus says this. This is awesome. He says, Jesus says, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Just give, give it here. Just come here. That's how I view this. I view him just being exhausted. He's not just taking on the disciples. It's the, it's the collection of believers, right? That's what he's seeing here. Is he's, I think he's just being a human for a moment and just being like, oh, my gosh. Okay, okay, just bring the boy to me. I don't think it's really like that, but you know what I mean. So he says, bring the boy to me, and let's see what happens in verse 18. And then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him, like that. From that moment, the boy was well. Let's continue verse 19. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Let's stop here. This is vulnerability. You just got your butt chewed by your boss in front of a client, right? Okay, imagine this, where they must have felt like ashamed. They must have felt embarrassed a little bit because they couldn't do what they were asked to do. They want to live up to this so much, but they couldn't do it. But in private, they were able to go to Jesus and be vulnerable. Why, why couldn't we do this? Do you see that? It wasn't just these perfect men going to this perfect Jesus, and they know everything. And like That's not what church is about. Church is about broken people coming to Jesus and saying, help us to be more like you. you see that? So they were being vulnerable. What happens as a response? Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He didn't try and say, well, maybe if you try harder next time, or maybe we can try in a different position, or maybe if you try. He said exactly what the issue was. He says, you don't have enough faith. He goes on, he says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. What I love most about this is there's a, a paraphrase called the message. And in his version, that, that, that line, that you don't have enough faith, is uh, Jesus says, you don't yet take God seriously. He's telling them straightforward. The disciples, when they decided to follow Jesus, they say, we want to be this. We want to be like this. We want to do these things that you're calling us to do. You see that? And this is Jesus saying, what's happening is you want to be this, and you're not. You don't have enough faith. You don't yet take Jesus seriously. You see that? He's holding them accountable. He's calling them to something more. And as a result of this, what happens is you continue down into the scriptures you see in, in Acts and other places where the disciples are doing incredible things in Jesus' name. I have to believe that if they didn't experience this downfall where they couldn't do this, maybe they wouldn't be able to do that. Does that make sense? They had to go through this trial. They had to go through, God, Jesus, why aren't we able to do this? And get that, that, that very direct accountability statement is you don't have enough faith to be able to do the things God has actually called them to do. So Jesus values intentional community. Jesus also values including the excluded, including the excluded, those on the outside. We see this in lots of places, but two very specific places are in Mark 2, 
where he's having dinner with some tax collectors. Now today, tax collectors don't, still don't really have a great rep. People don't really you know, enjoy the idea of tax collectors. But in that day, in this context, you know, tax collectors were like the, the riffraff, like totally don't, we don't be a part of them, the Pharisees. And when you read Pharisees, think church people, church folk. That's what I think when I read the Bible and you see Pharisees, these are, these are church folk and things are supposed to be this way and we need to be like this. They're the good Christians, right? That's how they, they work out. But they saw this and they were really angered about it. And Jesus essentially said to them, I, I love this, he said, instead of, uh, of arguing with them or whatever, he says, look, I didn't come to be with the respectable people. I came for the outcast." Further in scripture, in other places, he says, you don't send a doctor to well people. You send a doctor to the sick. That was Jesus. He wanted to include those who were on the outside, who were being excluded. We also see it with the woman at the well in John 4. This is a story that's really, if you like cultures, like learning about different cultures and seeing that, this is a great place in the Bible where this happens, where you've got two cultures colliding, the Jewish culture and the Samaritan culture, okay? And there's really a class situation here to where Samaritans were very secondhand citizens, like they were seen as dirty, less than, and so much so that even if a Jew, like if, if a Samaritan used a fork or something and a Jew knew about it, they would not use that utensil. There's no way they're touching it, right? So it's, it's that big of a difference. So when Jesus encountered her at the well, and not only talked to her, it's one thing to be like, to make small talk with someone at the doctor's office, or to be sitting with someone somewhere and you just kind of be nice. He wanted to speak to her so that she felt valued. He wanted to pull her in. He asked if he could use her cup, her cup she'd been drinking out of, if he could use that to drink. Now, if you can't use a fork, if someone's used it before, how much greater is it that you're asking someone to use their cup that they just drank out of? You see what I'm saying here? There's a moment where Jesus is saying he's putting aside all these things and he's including the excluded. He's bringing in those on the outside to be on the inside. Now, why would we even talk about this? I think the reason I wanted to bring this up today is I think there are people that are just outside your circle of influence, your circle of friends, your circle at work, wherever that circle is. There are people just on the outside who, who you're not seeing, who you could be including. And it might be because you think, oh, they've already got friends, they've got people, they've got whatever. You would be shocked at how many people are just waiting on that one person to ask them to lunch or for coffee or, hey, would you come to my house? Hey, we're going to do this. Would you come along? You can change someone's life just by simply including the excluded, even if they're a little difficult, even if they're hard to be around, even if they're that person that gets on your nerves a little bit, nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. I guarantee you there's someone in your life you can think of that is that person, I don't know if I want to pull them in. Who is the person that's right on the outside of your circle that you could be including? Just think about that as we go on. So to recap, your priorities and values dictate or determine your engagement. And Jesus prioritized and valued intentional community uh, and including the excluded. And if you look at his life, you would see that his priorities and values absolutely determined his engagement with others and the world. Absolutely. And, it, it, and it's inexplainable, or it's, you can't excuse away the fact that he allowed his primary priorities, his primary values to dictate how he engaged the world because our priorities and values determine our engagement. So this takes us back to where we started, that our engagement determines our experience. Your engagement determines your experience. So let's simplify this. We talked earlier about engagement being what you do. So engagement is what you do, the things you do, the things that happen. But experience is the quality and outcome of your life. So if we break that down, that means what you do 
determines the quality and outcome of your life. What you do determines the quality and outcome of your life. Think about that. That totally makes sense. It tracks with everything in your life. And if you look at this, again, if you look at Jesus' life, this is absolutely the truth. Think about him as a real person for a second, like a real person. Not just a storybook character, not just a Bible character, but a real person. He was 100% God and 100% man. Tell me you don't think there were things vying for his priorities or things trying to be his value. People trying to get into, you know what I'm saying? Like there's people who try and get in front of what actually matters to you. He absolutely had to struggle with that, but because he allowed, or he only allowed his engagement to be based on his priorities and his values, it changed the quality and the outcome of his life. Your engagement determines your experience. And like I said, while this principle is true for your work, for your family, for any situation you're in, it's especially true for your engagement with a local church. And so today, I want to take some time to share a tool that we've been talking about here internally as a church called the three levels of engagement. And the whole idea with this is to help you better understand how your, exp- how your engagement is determining your experience at Journey. This isn't just a Journey thing. It's the local church in general, but we're going to talk about it in terms of Journey. So we're going to see how your engagement really does, or it really is determined by, or really determines your experience. And through this, I'm going to use a little bit of an analogy, like a football analogy. Is that okay? Because I'm really sad that football's gone, and i got to wait until, like, freaking August for the Panthers to come back around. So I'm going to use a football analogy to help uh, kind of paint this picture a little bit. So first, let's look at the framework and kind of see how it's made up. So we've got four columns here, okay, and each one represents something different. So this first column is your engagement level at Journey, okay? It's your engagement level at Journey or any church. This will make more sense in a second as we go through it's how involved you're, like what you're doing. Again, engagement is what you're doing, right? The second column is the results of your engagement, or maybe even the result, how you feel as a result of being engaged at that level, okay? The third column is relationships with others. How are you relating to others as a result at being what level of engagement, okay? And the last is the impact. What kind of impact are you having as a result of your engagement, okay? So let's start with level one. Um, oh, well, before we start, the, the total of any one of these rows, so if you circle all of those, that's your experience, okay? So these three squares or these three squares will make up your experience for that engagement level, okay? It'll make more sense as we go through. So let's look at level one. So level one is church, okay? This is I come to church, whether you come every single Sunday or I come Easter and Christmas or I come every other whatever, I just kind of come. I come to Journey. Journey's my church, Right? So this is what, those are those kind of people. And when it comes to football, or a football team, this is the crowd. Okay? This is the, the fans. These are the people who come to the game with the jerseys and all that jazz. Okay? So the result is they feel like they belong. At a football game, if you go to a Panthers game, you get your jersey on, you're hanging with people around you, you're high-fiving, you're giving hugs for touchdowns to smelly people that you don't really know, but you're excited. Like You feel like you belong to something bigger than yourself. The same thing's true at Journey. If you just come to church... And you're here for long enough because our parking team is great and our first impressions team and our cafe. And there's a whole experience around everything to help you feel like you belong here. You see that? So the result is uh, you belong. Your relationship to others is that you're a fan, okay? If you're, you got the jersey on, you're at the game, you're a fan of what's happening, right? You're a fan of the team. Uh, here at Journey, if you just come and kind of visit, uh, and that's kind of where you're at, you just attend uh, at the church level, 
you're a fan of Journey. You like Journey. Oh, yeah, Journey's my church. I really like Matt. This is great. I like the kids' ministry. Like, whatever it might be, you're a fan of what's happening. That's how you relate to others. You relate to others as fans, okay? And then your impact is casual, okay? There's not many games in the history of football that have been completely impacted by how loud a crowd screams, but they still scream, right? They're still going to scream on third down. They're still going to do that. And yeah, there are times where it has an impact on the game, like it can make it hard for them to hear, and it can cause something to happen on the field. So they can have a casual impact, kind of a passing impact as a crowd, but they don't have a direct impact. They can't do anything to really change the game. I mean, if you wear your old stinky socks and pray in a certain way during the fourth quarter, maybe something will happen if you can convince yourself, but you don't really have a direct impact on the game. It's casual. Same thing if you just come to church. Uh, if you see something that, that a team going to Peru has done, or maybe something that's ha- maybe uh, you see a story of someone who's changed their life or whatever it might be, you haven't had a real personal impact on anybody. You've had a casual impact because you attend Journey. You're around here. You're helping this to happen. Does that make sense? You're having a casual impact. So your experience, uh, if you're just engaging at the church level, is you feel like you belong, you're a fan, and it's casual. Now, there's nothing wrong with this engagement level. It's a good thing. This is a good engagement level. But it's up to you to determine if that's the experience that you want being at a church. Okay, let's go to level two. Level two is volunteering or being on a team. Okay, the analogy with a football team would be like a team contributor, like a doctor or a water boy or uh, an equipment manager or an executive, someone like that who's kind of tangentially aligned with the team to help them reach their goals. Okay, so the first with the results is that they feel, the result is they feel like they're invested. Okay, if you're the water boy and you understand that you've got to get the water to these guys to do what they got to do, you're invested in the success of the team. If you're the doctor, you know you need to play your role to keep these guys as healthy as possible so they can achieve their goal. They feel invested in the ultimate goal of the team. If you're on a team here at Journey, uh, you're volunteering somewhere, uh, every role, the parking team, our first impressions, uh, Kid Street, in here, uh, the cafe, anywhere that we have as a church is just as important as any other role. Why? Because we're all working together to make something happen as a body of Christ. Okay, We're all invested in the ultimate goal of the church, which is leading everyone to absolute hope of humbly pointing everyone to absolute hope. We're invested in that together. Our relationship to others, we're no longer fans, we're now friends, okay? Tell me the executives don't like buddy up with each other and the guys down on the field who are working together, they kind of know each other and because they're invested together, they're friends, they have relationships, they're growing together. Same thing here, if you're on a team here at Journey, these are gonna be your friends because you're spending time with them. It's people you can meet and people you can enjoy time with even outside of Journey, they're your friends. That's your relationship to other, and your impact is no longer casual, it's shared. If the water boy doesn't get the water to the players, do you know what happens? They get overheated and dehydrated, and they get sick. It's no good for anybody. It's gross. Same thing with the doctor. If the doctor doesn't help people get better, the guys can't play. If the executive doesn't pick the right guys, you see where I'm going with this? It's a shared impact. If one person doesn't do their job, the outcome is affected. Same thing in Journey. If so, it, because of how the teams work, they're all integrated together to where we work together towards a common goal, we're all having a shared impact of leading people and pointing people to absolute hope. You see how this works? Okay, so level three. Level three is intentional community or groups, okay? And the analogy here is the player. This is a person on the field having a personal effect of what's happening. They're affecting the outcome of the game, right? So the first column, your results is that you're growing. 
Okay, there's a term in sports called reps. You got to get reps for the first team. You got to get reps doing whatever. And if you're not getting the opportunity to play with the players who are on the field all the time, you're not getting the opportunity to grow, to become a better player, to get better at this, to have better awareness. Okay? So if you're not in the game, you're not getting the opportunity to grow. But if you are, you're growing, you're getting better, you're changing, you're doing. Same thing with here. If you're an intentional community, you're going to be growing. You're going to be changing. This is the transformation piece. It's not just spiritually, but it's also relationally. You're growing in relationships with other people, okay, because you're engaging in intentional community, okay? Your relationship to others, you're not a fan, you're not a friend, just like at Olive Garden, when you're here, you're family. That's how it works. Um, sorry, I've been wanting to do that all week. I just had to fit that in there. Um, but truly, these people that are in your groups become your family. And when, if, you, if you look at the Super Bowl, right, a couple weeks ago, was that just last weekend? Wow. Okay, so if you look last week at the Super Bowl, and when they get on the mic and the guys are talking, what do they do? First, they thank Jesus. Good job. And then they start talking about the guys around them. These are not just people they work with. These are their family because they spent time working and fighting and scratching and climbing towards the same goal together. Same thing with groups. These are the people you're spending time with to try and grow, to try and be better, to try and be more. These are the people at Journey who will become your family. If you've experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have a phrase around here that Matt likes to use called your 2 a.m. call. Who's your 2 a.m. call? Do you have someone who if something hits the fan at 2 a.m., who you calling? These are the people who you call at 2 a.m. These are the people who are going to walk through fire with you. These are the people who are going to walk through, you know, a hard time in life with. These are the people you're going to walk through times with them. They're your family. Your impact's no longer casual. It's no longer shared but it's personal. It's personal. If you're a player, you're the one making the impact on the field. You're the one throwing the touchdown. You're the one catching. You're the one making the block. You're the one doing the things because you're in the game. Same thing with groups. If you're in a group, your impact is no longer casual or shared. It's personal. When I say personal, I don't mean like you're meeting with people. I mean like you have the opportunity to change someone's life, and I'm not overselling that. You have the opportunity to be the change agent in their life to help them make a, a change in their life, a transformation. You have the opportunity to make a personal impact on their life. You can see them grow in an area. They can, they can help you grow in certain areas. But like I said, this is your experience. So if this is your engagement level, groups, your experience is that you're going to be growing, you're going to meet people who are family, and you're going to have a personal impact on people. Your engagement determines your experience. You see that? So there's a couple things here. And let's look at this chart up for a second. Um, when you're looking at how an experience works, like what you're experiencing at the church, if, if what you're experiencing isn't matching your engagement level, you might need to take a second look. So how does this apply to you? There's two questions I think you should ask yourself. One, what level am I? Okay? Determine what level you're at. Okay, am I at the church level, am I at the team's level? That's pretty easy to assign, okay? And if you aren't happy or satisfied with your experience at Journey, then your first step should be to change your level. Does that make sense? If you're like, I can't really meet people, I don't have many friends, I don't know, whatever, and you're just still just kind of coming to church, change your engagement level. You see that? Change your engagement level. I don't know, I don't really feel like I'm connecting with a lot of people, I'm having a hard time feeling like I'm actually growing here. Maybe you need to jump to a group. Change your engagement level. Let that be your first step. The second question is, is my experience reflecting my engagement? 
Is my experience reflecting my engagement? If you're engaged at a team level and you're not experiencing the shared impact, you're not experiencing the friends that you're relating to, you're not experiencing that, then something's not right. And the something that's not right is likely this. There's a huge difference between engaging and showing up. Showing up is one thing. Engaging is an entirely different animal. So if you're not experiencing the things that should happen at that level of engagement, maybe you're just showing up. Maybe you need to actually engage. Maybe you're going to a group and you're not feeling like they're not my family. I don't feel like I can connect. I don't feel like I'm growing. Are you really connecting? Are you diving into the word? Are you praying for people? Are you relating with them? Are you building relationships with these people? Because guess what? Unless you put forth the effort and the energy to take that step, it's not going to happen. It's not magic. Maybe you're just showing up. That's a big difference. So challenge yourself. Am I engaging or am I just showing up? Your engagement determines your experience. And I know this for a fact because the story that I told earlier about those boys is my story. My story was I was kind of a part of this group and didn't really know a whole lot of people. And my youth pastor saw me and Josh and Tom and said, you guys should meet. And I did not like them. <laughs> I thought Josh, the basketball player, I thought he was over himself and I just didn't leave. I was like, too much. No, thanks. And then Tom was kind of weird, the homeschool kid, but I loved him anyways. I was like, okay, I guess it's fine. I'll hang out. Because Paul asked us to engage. And because of that, it's not just a thing I did in high school. It's not just a thing I did because my pastor asked me to. It changed my life. These are men that I've walked through fires with. These are men who have been there for me in times of my great need. I'm walking through a fire with one of those guys right now. They're my 2 a.m. call. And because I took the opportunity to engage an intentional community, I have that personal impact. I have that family I have that sense of growing and change and transformation. And I want that for you. I want that for each and every one of you. I want each and every one of you to feel like you have that family, to feel like you have that sense of I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm transforming. I want that for you. I want that personal impact. And I want that because I know for myself that my engagement absolutely and radically changed my experience and in turn changed my life. And I want that for you. So my question to you is, what's your next step? It might be joining a team, like First Impressions, parking team. It might be Kid Street. Cafe would love to have you. Production. I mean, there's so many options, and we'd love to help you do that. Next Steps that meets in a couple weeks is the best place for you to do that. We want to help you get plugged in there. Maybe you want to join a group. And if that's the case, we have group link today right after this service where you're not only going to meet other people who are looking to get in groups, but you can meet group leaders and join a group today like that. Take that step. Because honestly, Matt said this beautifully last week, that we can do as a church, we can build these things and create these things and have these sayings that are really slick and whatever and a cool graphic or whatever. But if you don't take a step if you don't physically go and talk to a group leader, if you don't physically go to a group after you said you'd go, if you don't engage in that group, then nothing is going to happen. It's not magical. It's taking the step. Um, my pastor when I was growing up said it like this, you need to understand and know your right next step and then take it. So that's what I'm asking you. What is your right next step? Determine that 
and it will give you your direction of where you need to go so that you can engage better, so that you can have a different experience at Journey. Because I want intentional community for each and every one of you. Because I know for a fact that if you engage with it, if you take the time to invest and really engage in intentional community with people, it will transform your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, for your example, for how you went first to show us how much you valued community, loving one another, being there for one another, being vulnerable for one another, being accountable to one another. God, just giving the ability and the construct to help us grow and change and transform. That through your Holy Spirit, as we take steps, God, you, you, you work in the details to change us and to make us more and more like you. God, so I pray for those who are taking next steps would just be bold and confident in what you have for them, that would just be willing to try something different or new. Um, God, that you would just give them their right next step and then give them the courage to do that. God, we love you and we thank you for all you do. It's your holy name we pray, amen.